Tabletop Podcast. A while ago, we sat around and rather than play D&D, we talked about D&D and adventures and Pathfinder and the old days and all sorts. And the other day, we found that conversation here in the vaults and the command centre, and here it is for you now. It's a bit aimless. Uh, It doesn't, I think, contain any spoilers. Not everything in it is current in terms of the Age of Worms and where we are in the adventure now, but hey, it's all rather inconsequential, but you might find it interesting to listen to. If you ever get the opportunity to leave us a rating or a review on your podcast app of choice, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Lucas's Weird One, I can't remember what it's called, Good Pods, uh, it would be very much appreciated. As our emails are received at hello at billowinghilltop.com, you can always find us on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter at Billowing Hilltop, and you can find our handouts and maps now on our Tumblr, billowinghilltop.tumblr.com. That's it. I hope you enjoy this weird little slice of Billowing Hilltop chat in our bonus episode, Something to Talk About. When you're assessing a dungeon for, to potentially run it, what do you look for? What is it that grabs your attention? Uh, uh, Paul, you, you can't answer this because you've never I can't. run anything. I don't run dungeons. Well, Graham yeah. runs dungeons. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's... One thing is things that you think you can do. So sometimes yes. you pick them up and you think, oh, God, I, I can feel this is not going to work for me anyhow because the first thing you'll do is completely the wrong thing. Kill the shopkeeper, for example, without speaking to him. <laughs> yes. Not mentioning any names. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are some things as well. You did what was the midnight setting. Yeah. So the midnight setting. I love the midnight thing. I love the midnight setting, except it didn't work because you need to, basically because you're running characters, I think, that that have these powers, you're going to use these powers. But if you use these powers, you really want to feel like you've got to be really careful when you use your, use use any magic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, You've I've got felt to that have an early, like, I think you need a, sc- a scrape early on to kind of establish, okay, this is where we are. It worked very well at low level. It was just kind of hard to work out how to keep everyone happy as you level up, mm. but while well, not getting any kind of the traditional treasure or anything like that. Well, it's interesting. I, th- I thought Midnight was a very good setting, except it doesn't, uh, the leveling up throws it out because you've got agents of the, it's very, you know, it's very kind of, fantasy novel yeah absolutely and you've got agents of the bad guys who have to be kind of when you're first level they have to be like scary and you just want to keep away from them but as you there there must come a point where you out level them and then you're not scared of them i suppose then you introduce no i mean the setting had fantastically powerful bad guys right and can you remind me what the dungeon was i can't remember midnight setting is where basically everyone's oppressed and you're not allowed to and magic is outlawed oh, so it's years premised, ago isn't it yes yeah, it's, yeah. it's premised on this idea that the, the the sort of big bad dark god has been cast out of heaven and landed on the planet or on yes. earth and in doing that he's broken the connection between the gods and the planet so the only sort of, source of sustainable magic is the is the big bad god yes and there's only scraps of kind of magical energy for everyone else yes so what, the end what, of the Lord of the Rings and Sauron has won, I think, is the way they always... Um, and is yes. that what hooked you? Is that why you decided to do it? Yeah, it sounded... I mean, it, and I, it, it just seemed really interesting as a different kind of challenge. Yes. If you, but I could, you know, it's like trying to build a piecemeal armor system. So you're not going to have all the armor, you're going to have like a shield or something. How much of it is mechanics or stuff like that? I've always been interested in the in the way that um, 
setting is expressed through mechanics. I thought Dark Sun did that really interestingly, for example. Yeah, I mean, I, it's when we when we first were playing for for many years, first edition and to a lesser degree second edition, but still kind of similar. It was basically dungeon, right? So in second in first edition, there was Tomb of Horrors and you know the the sort of the classic mm. dungeons where basically you never really went out except to maybe go and get, sell your treasure and power up and do stuff in the local town. Well, that's the classic old school. Mm, like, first edition yeah so so yeah the, the initial initially the game mechanic was you know you've got a set of doors and so you can you can control the number of choices that characters had and that's why it was dungeons well the feel i think was completely different in a good way and a bad way i mean with the first mm. edition the thing with first edition is like the tomb of horrors thing is that your character can die pretty easily mm. you know yes i mean really die i mean like those saves where you you get bitten by a poison spider, roll above 14, or you're dead because of the poison. Yeah, you wouldn't get a leaf. sphere of annihilation there. <laughs> sphere Damn. of annihilation. Or, uh, so there were some really nasty rolls there, and things mm. like fear as well, where you roll a fear roll, and if you fail that roll, your character would be running away for the next half an hour, and you wouldn't have anything to do. Yeah. So in a way, it was it was quite terrifying and quite yes. Yeah. You know, you'd be terrified opening doors and things like that, and that made it really quite exciting. It's lost that feel now. But then, but on the but other then, hand, it used to drive me mad. You know, it used to drive me mad. I used to make fail so many of those fear saves and just sit around <laughs> for an hour did. doing nothing. Everybody yeah. did. Everybody did. So you boring. spent whole sessions dead while you're waiting yes. for your yeah. team to finish their thing like all and, night and resurrect your characters die and you just sit yeah. around for two hours. <laughs> but the thing yeah. about the thing about the dangerous aspect of first edition and to some degree second edition was that that you basically it slowed everything down because you didn't want to open the doors. There was lots of no you do it, no yeah. you do it. Uh okay, and then lots of buffing, lots of pre uh combat buffing and I think the buffing was more... I think that was 3.5. Yeah. 3. 3, 3, 3, yeah, 3 and 3.5. Yes, it was, it's but funny. there was still... I mean, there were still there things some. you did. You cast spells, but there weren't all of these interlocking interactive bonuses in mm. first and second. It was yes. like, can you get a deflection bonus to your armor class? Can you get a... Oh, I can't remember yes. the names of them all now. And I think that, you just had bonuses, didn't you? And it was... A, effectively, it was what yeah. magic you had acquired. Well, your yeah. the armor class went minus, didn't it, initially? <laughs> Yes, it started at 10 and then went south rather than north, yes. which is, I mean, in retrospect, an amazing and then second idea. Ed- second edition brought in Thacko. Yeah, but they didn't change the armor class, but they just had uh, yes. they well, just they just well, rather than tables, the you had tables originally to work out. Yeah, in the very yes. early days, you had tables. It was like yes. cross-index your class and your level against armor class. And, oh, dear yes. me. And the classic thieves' abilities, Ben Bar's lift but, gates. I mean, the other exciting... Oh, ben Bar's lift gates was a strength... Um, was it? I thought that, yeah, was, with I thought that was one of the thief. The thief. Uh, thieves uh, had uh, pickpockets, move silently, climb, climb walls. walls. I can't, I can't yeah. remember. Ben Bar's lift gates was one of the things keyed off strength. Maybe, yeah. There wasn't a consistent framework. I, this no. is, I mean, we can maybe, listening to 55-year-olds talk about what D&D was like in the late 70s, it might be. Anyway. I don't know. No, no, I think people would be interested. The thing is, the, the, just the other thing what is, makes an interesting dungeon, which was one of the earlier questions. That's why I like yes. the idea of the barrow maze because it was trying to redo the feel yes. of. It did feel a, bit a classic think, dungeon. Yeah, my my issue with the barrow maze is it's it's like there's an there's another room, there's more monsters well, yes. sort of it's, sitting it's, there playing cards, waiting for adventurers to turn up. Well, 
I mean, the pinnacle of the of the dungeon mechanic for me was the Dark Sun Adventure, where you had those runes which opened up bits behind you. Yeah, but that was actually not from Dark. I mean, that wasn't. That was a second edition Labyrinth of Madness. Yes, that was just a pre-published module which I dropped into the Dark Sun campaign. I think you were, I think it was in Dark Sun. I don't it think was. That, wasn't that something else where we ended up just being chased around and around, running no, away? That was um, okay. So. Um, Yes, we're approaching slightly interesting territory <laughs> in the sense that the world in which the Age of Worms is set is a world which I have run adventures in before, and mm. that was what you were talking about, Graham. Mm. We did run an extended adventure, which ended up with, rather kind of fizzled out, it ended up with the, a high-level party of adventurers who jumped through into another dimension looking for an artifact and ended up being chased down by these kind of agents of evil seemingly endlessly. Is that the one you're thinking that, of? Yeah. That was a brilliant dungeon. Was it was a great good. dungeon, except we basically, it fizzled out because yeah. I think we, we, were we, we all end. died. We yeah, all dungeons all dungeons fizzled out. Well, well, they don't need to. That's the thing. They don't need to if they're written by somebody. But, they, <laughs> I mean, it depends. <laughs> I was writing that as I went about a week in advance. I was nicking stuff. Mm in order to sell to pay for my habit <laughs> i was finding free adventures that were published for third edition and second edition and any old bits and bobs and sticking it in and trying to sort of draw a line between them to turn it into a story and it sort of just it just sort of kept itself in the air for a while but by the end it was a little bit um, for ages but but you there's a, stodgy, there was a reluctance a reluctance to bring it to a conclusion i think it well, was yeah, about it was the to only conclude, thing, though. It was the only thing the we shard. had going. Well, you could you mm. could tell me, um, that, uh, Johnny. I don't know. I, think, I can't remember where it was I going. Think you were hinting that it was. A, I think it yes, was going to come to an end because we were all going to be dead. Yes, that's yes, what, that, that was, was going to be the that, end. Yeah, yeah you know. It, so th that is set in Hearth. That adventure. Yeah. And Evenstar, the city that's the the central city in yes in the Age of Worms adventure. So yes. there, is, there are overlaps between an old thing that we did that, um, hello readers, uh, thanks for listening by the way, if you are still listening. Something that we all played as a, as a group many years ago, set in the, in the world in which our, our Age of Worms story is now set. So there is, but I don't know about when, overlaps. When we say many years ago, when? Like how well, many years ago? Does anyone remember? Yeah, well, Paul was living in Highbury Hill. Oh That's God. right. And 25 years ago. No, no, nowhere near that many. It was third no, edition. Near, oh, no, nowhere near that long ago. Hybrid no, Hill, maybe it was before not. William no. was born. I would say it was about 2000 and... <laughs> Something. 2000, maybe 20 years ago. Oh, I mean, 2000, it started, yeah, so it started uh, but we yeah. played it for years and years and years and years. Yes. For me, I like doing something different. So so a bit like you, Graham, I, like, I really like the midnight setting. But I think it was too lenient in, in the sort of the application. It had to be because we didn't really play it as characters. We didn't play it properly, which we never do. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, it so, was a kind of, it was third adapted to Pathfinder by me. Yes. Yeah. I think someone is, is adapting it again. Yeah, there's a fifth edition Midnight coming out. Right. It's yeah. A, I mean, it's a great setting. There are some settings, some ideas or some settings where you have to really properly embrace them as players it's, yes. it's not all on the DM, and I didn't. Uh, I just felt that we were we didn't really embrace it. No, it's a setting that would work, but then in it, a similar way to something like you know Warhammer Fantasy role playing, where you know it's all very difficult. Yes, yes, yes. GM, dungeon master, whatever puts a challenge in front of us, we deal with that challenge. We 
reap the rewards of completing it. We look for a new challenge is the mm. kind of standard MO of that kind of play style. And I think adventures which are more nuanced or much more story based, they're not always great bedfellows, those two things. Yes, which is why I quite like the, the balance that, that, that Paizo, I mean, I keep going back to sort of praising Paizo, but, you know, mm. I, I think Paizo do things that I do. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like, I, you know, okay. Don't spell so, that name with a Z. Yeah. They take standard fare and they add a twist to it. You know, and they, they sort of find a, a kind of key. Like, like Hexploration. You know, I like the mechanic. Well, in Kingmaker. Yeah. In Kingmaker, yeah. The exploration I liked. Uh, they're trying there's to do always, something different there's always something, yes. path, aren't they? Yes. There is a bit of a business thing going on there, I suspect, which is that they are, in parallel, releasing adventure material, setting material, and class stuff to go with that setting material to get players excited about the sure. players I think, they were playing. I think what, and, what I mean by and that rules is material. They take something that is very cinematic and they create a kind of rule or a, a kind of system around it. So I'm thinking also things like the, the Pathfinder Society modules. It's just mm. like, okay, we know that people want sort of very short little adventures. How do you have a sort of contiguous thing? Yes, they're very, very smart in the way that they, they yes. kind of, yeah. And that's what I mean about the way that you use rules to inform mm. yes. the setting. They roll forward their new rule ideas but often Along those... with their adventure paths, the, the whole mythic thing went into a series of adventure paths that mm. were supported that those sort of mythic themes. I mean, we didn't really get, we weren't really still into, you know, Pathfinder at that point. But no, but I think that what they do is they they don't. All, I'm not always talking about coming up with a new rule set, like new set of chase rules or battle rules or things like that, which they do do as well. But mm. it's taking things that already exist. And looking at them from a slightly different angle, I'm thinking like the worms in Age of Worms. So, so we're all like, well, they're rock grubs. But mm. you combine that to, to sort of say, well, we've got this mechanic that is turning things into undead, and the undead therefore have a sort of different flavour. They're not; it's not very different, but there's a sort of mechanic that already exists. I tried to do that with the. There was one thing where you had to find a a, um, a spell component. There was a kind of hall full of plates and with things on them and you had to kind of identify well, the, the one thing i always out. remember of yours was you ran something set in Greyhawk, mm. if i remember that correctly and yes we were trying to solve a mystery i think it was like a it was almost like a body in the library mystery and the mm. clue was a spell component yes that we found i think it was the component of spider climb it was like ah okay that's how they got in yeah that was quite interesting i remember that very well and that was a, i mean that was second edition that was absolutely forever ago because we tend to ignore spell components yeah, material components tend to we've always tend to ignore. But I thought that you know that's something that was there, and let's you know, see how how well people know the games to identify something. Maybe one of the things that Paizo does, it's not necessarily bringing in a whole new set of rules. Maybe it's taking something which is a pillar of the game, like exploration, for example, and going right. If you were really, really going to build your whole story around this, yes. you're going to have a lot more material to support what the exploration process is like. Yes. And we're going to give you all of that support to make this work. And yes. that's, I think, yeah, that's, I mean, that's true. Yes. They, they're very exactly good. Exactly right. But they're also very good with just narrative and story and getting you into it and setting yeah. it up. Rise of the Rune Lords was good. Yeah. Did we finish mm. that? I can't remember. No, you see, this is the problem. We didn't finish that either. Why I mean, not? Well, because... <laughs> we did like, most I mean, of it. <laughs> well, no, I mean, the, the, well, we have been being very nice about Paizo. I think there's a couple of things that work against them. One is that they were writing for 
third edition three and a half or pathfinder whatever pathfinder it's a very heavy set of rules yes it does get to a stage as a DM where it's just like I can't oh, face the this. monsters. We're going yeah, to you turn the page on the on the big creature yeah. that you're going to face next, and it's like two pages of yeah. stuff, and you just think I don't know that I've got the will to do this. And they give you like ten, you know, this creature will do this and this and cast this and this, and then in the first round we'll do this, and the second I'm thinking the second round they're mm-hmm. going to be dead. But we can read on if you like. No, I'm being <laughs> I'm being naughty, but and the. The higher level you got in Pathfinder, the more those numbers started to stack up and up and up. It's not just yes. a question of the size of the bonuses. It's just the number of things all interplay, the to number keep, of buffers. To keep track of, yeah. yeah but I think like, if you're I mean, playing I'm, those where it's complex and that you have to play a lot really regularly. Mm, in, yes. Because that way it's fresh in your mind, whereas if you're playing once a month or, you know, yeah. at the biannual D&D weekend, you're never going to remember all those things. No. But my thinking is, though, that I, I mean, I'm being nice about Paizo, but I don't think they're the only ones. I think that what's happened is that people have fed off each other and developed, and it's it's spread to other games. So so I'm thinking yeah. here of Dragon Heist, which yeah, did a similar a, thing. A brilliant it's piece like, of work. Yeah. yeah, really clever piece of work. It took Dungeons & Dragons, I mean, we're talking 5e, and, and just kind of flipped it and did something new with it. My thing on Paizo is more about, and it's not a Paizo-specific issue, it's about scale. Yeah, early rune lords. You're in a small town. There is a mystery. You're unearthing Skin a conspiracy. There's right. stuff going on. You understand. You can relate to the scale. Mm. The final book is just this enormous city of spires and towers, populated by huge three-page-long stat blocks of <laughs> bad guys. Yeah, you're no longer interacting with a story in the sense that you're trying to unpick something or deduce something or support or rescue somebody or investigate something. It's like here you're just a, playing it out to its conclusion. Yes, you're just playing out a series of increasingly crazy last 10 minutes of a Marvel movie <laughs> combat. As we got and started engaging with the final encounters, you could just tell that people's hearts were not in it. It was like, are we really going to sit down and dedicate the rest of this afternoon to, you know, crossing this enormous bridge and then climbing up this giant staircase, fighting these huge creatures to get into another great big golden hall of obsidian, whatever with, I mean, it's all of that stuff. I just, I don't know. I recognize that. I'm not sure if that's not DM fatigue though. Oh yeah, no, it's definitely. I mean, certainly we didn't finish Kingmaker either. We didn't finish Kingmaker either for the same reason. It was just like, oh, this is an increasingly set of complex stat blocks you're absolutely Mm. right dms if you're going to run an adventure you need something to be doing you don't want to just be playing increasingly enormous chess pieces in this sort of crazy game of i don't i don't know about that i mean down um princes of the apocalypse the fact that johnny is playing it so sort of attritionally it gives it its own character i mean it's a character the scale is relatable but i i I think the big difference is since you don't have save or die yeah yeah, that's a mechanic. Ever since you kind of lost that, high-level dungeons never work. No, because there's no... Yes. It worked sort of years and years ago because you always had that balance. That if you made a wrong step, no matter how powerful you were, you step into the mouth of the sphere yeah. of the annihilation and that's it. 
But in, in even with that, though, the sphere of annihilation was was kind of unique because if you died in first edition at high level, you just got resurrected. Well, unless well, you no, I mean you lost the point. You had a load of magic. It used to be magic heavy level. characters. Yeah, so, so your were, treasure was what defined you. So if yes, you died, exactly. Because there weren't stuff, skills and abilities and feats so much. It was more defined, as Graham says, by your magic. So if you yeah. died. That was it. Your, your your character really was good. Cool. Well, that was actually just spoiler alert. But I had this conversation with Graham. That was my plan for Malazan was to make it high 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 magic. Mm. The problem is when you're running modules, you can't make them. You can't insert a lot of magic because you unbalance. Yeah, you break the adventure. Yeah, you break the mechanic. Well, now but if you're writing your own abilities, thing, it's got lots of abilities. And I wonder how much of things. this whole problem is to do with our attitude to what we find enjoyable about the game. Maybe I, I think yeah. it's a very astute point for Graham, which is that without save or die save or suck without the peril yes. high level adventuring becomes a little bit of a grind and really all you're doing is just swapping smaller numbers for bigger numbers and smaller creatures for bigger creatures but ultimately it's just a sort of process we're knocking on a bit um, the <laughs> generations of gamers coming behind us are much much more interested in story and the kind of mythic storytelling and maybe the yeah. um, and universes, for example, like Marvel Universe DC Universe, the idea of these yes. the more I play, the more I'm interested in that now too. The idea that these mythic level creatures have got stories and histories and there's and there's kind of an interwoven mm. skeins of destiny and all this kind of stuff that we don't really know i don't know that well, we I really never, ever engaged i always with. struggled with a lot of the adventure paths you, you've given a history about some characters it's like well how am i going to convey that to the party it's I oh, don't, yeah. I don't oh, have yeah, a no, way yeah, to yeah, do yeah. it without you to say, like you mentioned earlier dan you have to kind of commit to say in this adventure it's going to have a certain format. Yes. And mm. it, you should disregard all the other games you've played and just say, we're playing in an Elizabethan horror, you know, thing. Mm. Yes. And therefore we're going to treat it as that. Yes. The idea that all you're doing is reskinning the classic murder hobo, explore, kill, loot yep. thing. Instead of a dungeon, it's a palace. Instead of a... Yes. yes. It's all just a series of combats and a series of opportunities to reward yourself and kind of escalate in power but it's just disguised as a murder mystery rather than just being nakedly just set out in an underground complex full of pits and treasure and traps and stuff sometimes it's difficult we're, we're very slow to, to to kind of pick them up yeah you know, pick up and so so for example your your one set in sort of edwardian england uh what was that one me um yes that must your, have been cthulhu no no, no. when we we're, we're up in york and we're oh, you mean you mean Edward the First, right? Edward, so yeah, the Red that, Hand yeah, of yeah. Doom, Red Hand, the Red Hand of Doom, Red Hand reset of Doom. In, in 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 medieval the, England. The yeah, mechanic yeah. there is that you're you have to do things, and if you successfully do things, you delay the invading army, and you accumulate yeah. points. And if you accumulate enough points, it has a yes. bearing. So there's a mechanic there as well, which I like. Yeah, but there's a great simple mechanic that allowed that adventure to be a series of fights. <laughs> you killed. Yeah, no, things. sure, but 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 we and, didn't and, and pick but, up. We didn't. It wasn't until sort of halfway through that it was just like okay we really this is this is what format this is taking you didn't yeah. telegraph it if you telegraphed it we might have gone oh okay so we're, I, right. I think if we would have been, been more yeah, invested yeah, i understand you were earning effectively victory points or whatever it was i can't remember what yes. they called in that thing yes yeah exactly i very I mean, much enjoyed that we didn't finish that one either we finished we did we finish finished the first bit well we finished the first bit you kept promising to go back to it but then we started uh, age of worms yeah, bloody age of But the Malazan one everything. was the same. The first bit was designed as a standalone kind of vignette, if you like, to set the scene. The second one was 
you know, uh, you're an invading army and you have a big combat. And the third one got a bit more complicated. So, Johnny, what's the, what's your of the adventures that you've run as a as a DMGM? What's your what's the one that sticks in your mind? Well, I, I for many years I didn't run anything, did I? Mm. So I I ran from first edition adventures and then yeah a couple of others, but I haven't really been a DM. It's you, it's really you, Dan and Graham that have been the DMs. Poter is really my my first. Well, I, you know, my proper we did. dungeon. Did yeah, I, but you did. Um, out of, was it out of the out of the abyss? Was it out of the abyss? Yeah, I really like that, but it's it was too. We found our way out really quickly. <laughs> it was too hard to run. I, yeah, yeah, it's it had a flavour to it, and yeah, unless you really engage with that flavour, which is basically you're foraging around in this in the in the underworld or whatever it's called the underdark. Yes, trying to survive. No food. When you could actually go the wrong way, that's all really hard to play out. But it's so atmospheric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we yeah. don't. We don't easily do atmosphere. I, no. I think the thing maybe that we miss sometimes is before you start going through this kind of the idea of this adventure is something you know, and it works if you follow it in this way. Yes, yes. A little bit of kind of maybe expectation it, setting. Yes. This is what I it's agree. going to be about. Yes, and mm. if you want to do that it'll work if you don't want to do that then we do something else yes you know I, but that was or that we was can do point, it in a suboptimal way the point about malazan that i thought would work is you are a platoon of soldiers and you're part of an invading army so immediately it's just like here's the mechanic and it didn't necessarily you know manifest itself until you're told to go and sack a city or go and recover some nitroglycerin but it was enough i think potentially i could have seen set a bit more mm. But I think, you know... No, it was the, good. The, I mean, the, and it, I it, it was it, kind yeah, of nice it and it, it wasn't much. too serious. You didn't... It wasn't one that required you to sort of say, here, we're going to do some, you know, um, drill. <laughs> You're going to practice <laughs> yeah. marching. <laughs> yes. Because once you've got your march skill up... Join the army, go on operations immediately. Yeah, but well, the defining was... thing about Malazan was when we had to go to that ammunitions depot and that yeah. race back to the bridge. Because that actually, if I remember... That really sort of actually brought us together, like as a, as you know, like a company. You know, that was the story of this group of soldiers come together. They don't know each other, and then that sort of task actually sort of gelled that party together quite well, if I remember rightly. Just for the listener, it didn't really go very far. I did like three sessions on it at our biannual weekends, D and D weekends. So it didn't really get very far. But the but idea they were- was good sessions well I mean, yeah, I yeah also... they were designed as standalone things that that you could yeah. you didn't really need to remember very much you didn't really need to know very much other than your you know kind of like this is what you did last time i think that combat what was the um the general um the don't tell me you basically circling above us on that um <laughs> large yes. bird i have to the... admit that i really struggled so this is the thing is that's why i can't be so grumpy about um <laughs> I really keep struggle with, with who's story. what. Yeah, really, yeah. really struggle. Yeah. Who's yeah. who? What's yeah? <laughs> it's terrible. But there's a very good bit with this, the clock thing. And oh, the that was terrific. Yeah, oh, the yeah, magic field. Good. Yeah, yeah. That thing with the clock. What I like doing is kind of setting up a puzzle mm. and seeing how you kind of figure it out, and basically trying to anticipate the solution that you'll come up with, and then putting a kibosh on that. <laughs> putting yes, the kibosh yes, yes. on that solution. Yeah. So in that um, one, it was basically okay. So they're this level. That means they'll be able to dimension door, or they'll, you know, how are they yeah. going to get in? And, you know, so they're going to want to circumvent it. Blah 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 blah. 
I know, mm. I'll make the thing that they're trying to get. In the books, it's called Otter Tarot. It, it's basically an anti-magic material. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like, just genius. Brilliant. There you go. Yeah. So that was quite funny. It's the trying to jump into light speed on the Millennium Falcon yeah. moment. Yes. That everything depends upon one thing working. The whole plan yeah. depends upon one thing. And you press the button and you get... <laughs> and you're like, oh, everything. And everything. What I like about those little moments is yeah. all of the perspective flips. It's like everything that you thought was not a problem is suddenly a problem. Yeah. And it just flips it all over. I love that. I thought that was just There, a there are basically four things... Power. Four things that I'm proud of that I've kind of written. That was one of them. Second one was the glycerin thing. The third thing was the thing you mentioned with the diary. clock oh, and the murder okay. and the murder and trying to figure out, you know, how who, how we got in or whatever. And the fourth yeah. thing was the behind the enemy lines where you had you were kind of travelling across country. That was very good. I remember that very well. That had a flavour of mid the midnight campaign in it. Mm. The idea that you're in an environment which is inherently hostile, everything is hostile. There is no tavern, there is no town to go back yes. to. Yes. That you're being hunted. Yes. Which is that thing that in really good fantasy literature can be such a really powerful kind of atmosphere. I love that. That was Graham's the, dungeon, wasn't it? The This Midnight. Yeah. Midnight was, yeah, that was Midnight, yeah. But Dan ran, ran a campaign in second edition. Second, I think it was, yeah. Where we were had to travel across country and there were no allies. Everybody was after us. It was like a sort of dark shadow had fallen. Well, the, I think the, the orcs, Classic, yeah, the orcs had invaded, and you had, yeah, yeah. had to get across orc-held uh, territory to somewhere. I can't even remember. But. I'm interested in tone and what people think about it. Like I thought, for example, Rise of the Rune Lords went very dark very early with the Skinsaw murders. The second yes. book is it's it's um it's either Richard Pett. I think it's Richard Pett or Nicholas. Isn't it? Richard, 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 Pett, is. Richard Pett, he lives in Cumbria. He's like a forest ranger or something. Right. And he writes as a freelancer genius. for Paizo. And the stuff he is a genius. The stuff he writes is just dark and kind of gets under your skin, makes you feel uncomfortable. And they went really dark really early. But most often, well, my sense is, and especially in the kind of classic arc of a fantasy, you know, the classic fantasy trilogy, so you start light, you start at the scale of the village with something that's over the horizon. Yes. And then as the story progresses, and the stakes get higher, the tone gets darker. I don't know quite how the Age of Worms is going to, whether or not the Age of Worms is going to follow that arc in, in that sense. What I was going to say is that, but since we've been doing a podcast, I think the preparation has been better, right? So you're much more prepared when you turn up to a session. I mean, maybe I'm just imagining it, but you certainly seem very on top of what's going to happen and where we, what happened last time. I, I mean, we play so infrequently, so historically, that I would get to a session and I'm like, as the DM, and I'm like, I can't remember what happened last time. Where did we get, get off to? Well, no, I can't remember either, but I listened, I listened to the previous session. Yeah, sure. This is interesting in that, that it seems much more kind of prepared and well-rounded. Well, Does that make sense? The, the adventure is written by somebody else, right? It's not, that's not me. The bit no, that, that's not what I'm saying. The bit that you get from doing it the way that we're doing it is that I don't have to organize myself to be prepared for an open-ended amount of stuff for our readers. Mm. We effectively play a little bit online, but a lot of the play that we've done in recent years has been on these in these sort of mammoth two, three, four day long D and D weekend sessions. And preparing for those sessions means if you're running a, an adventure of any sort, you've sort of got to have like two days worth of adventure in your back pocket when you start. And it's very difficult to lavish the attention on each individual bit of it if you're doing that. Yes. What I like about running about the Age of Worms for the podcast is that every time I we finish it 
a session of the of the story, a session of the adventure, I go right. All I need to worry about is next time. Yeah, the next the hour, next, two hours. Yeah, the next couple of hours worth of play is all I yeah. need to think about. Yeah, for me, for me these days, it's all about the story. And I think you know, in terms of, to answer your question about mood, I think a, a variety. I, you know, you want you want peril. You want there mm. to be, you know, you want it to be threatening, but not all the time. And if you intersperse a comedy Hesley Testapod type character, mm. the counterpoint can often work to your to your advantage. Eric Mona is very good with atmosphere. I thought the Whispering Cairn as a as an environment, yes. an adventuring environment, was very nicely done. Yeah. And Diamond Lake is quite a kind of dark and gritty thing, but my sense was that the tone early on in the Age of Worms has been quite it's been quite dark. Well, there's a foreshadowing of darkness on the horizon, but no, but, but maybe we, maybe no, we but play it's set it quite in the, like. No, I don't agree. I think it's set in the snow in a very cold in mm. mining environment, which is under the iron heel of some very nasty people. It's you know, so it's quite dark. And that who murdered a kid? What I really mean is that where it is set and the the tone of the adventure, plus the fact that I have tried to darken the tone as much as possible, mm. I still find it amazing that the entire thing is just a chaotic <laughs> uh, romp, basically. What comes out in the in our recordings is not that dark tone of foreboding and fear. That's what I mean. The yes. background yeah, is dark. I think it's the story that, is really. dark. There's something on the horizon. There's lots to fear, but the general tone of you guys as you're playing through the story is not a sort of is not like that. Most well, of the it's a tone of incompetence. I think is what it, <laughs> it's what it is. It's uh, what's going on. Who 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 what? Uh, and let's yeah. make light of it because we don't really know what we're doing. Who here has run Paizo Adventure Path? Yeah, I have. King Graham? Graham. Graham. Um, I've I've been yeah. through some, started some. The classic Paizo Adventure Path system is that they farm out the writing of the yes. individual sections to freelancers. And then the overall arching story arc is managed by somebody in, I presume, in Paizo Towers. There's always a letter to be found on the body of so-and-so that oh. says, I have had news of your sister to the north and she moves her armies towards the you know or whatever if, if i mean if you listen to the glass cannon it's the same it does feel a bit episodic i mean i mean sort of they don't feel that connected the different stories like they are written by different people and they are written by different people and they are loosely connected by a story yeah it does i think they have a, a plan like they have a sort of overarching yeah kind exactly. of script and then people write the adventures within their yeah defined chapter Precisely. They have a storyboard. They have connecting circuitry that runs between the different chapters. Those connecting things do tend to be letters and scrolls and things left behind by people. It's quite interesting. Or monologues. In Giant Slayer, which is the one that they're playing in the Glass Cannon, I don't know whether or not Troy Valley writes these or adapts them or what's going on. But the big end-of-level bosses, they always have this sort of almost yeah. like James Bond villain bit where they talk about what they would have done, what the plan is, and how futile the characters' efforts are going to end up being and blah 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 what those glass cannon monologues do is they they basically read out the history of a of yeah. something that i've always struggled to convey it's just like well they're not going to stand there and go this this happens so mm. it is a it is a an artifice it's a device it works very well i'm just trying to think about in the age of worms and how it's all done with the age of worms what i basically hesty testapod is the person that tells you what to do isn't he yeah yes but he doesn't he doesn't basically i mean there was who was he doesn't the, order you he doesn't order you to do stuff no he tells us a bit about what's going on but he doesn't sort mm. of elucidate he, he gives us the, the history if you like but he doesn't give us the motivation of a particular character or the background of a particular character 
in a way that the adventure piles often do. Yeah, he's not a classic patron. Yeah. Hesty is more a concerned individual who shares his fears with you about what might be going on and is glad of your assistance. And mm. I think that's done very... I mean, I'm, I'm not writing this stuff, right? Better than mine. But I think that's done very well by the mm. writers. They've managed to put that together nicely. Yeah, I agree. He's the, obviously the, not called Hesty Testapod. I mean, that one never would have made it past <laughs> the editors, but there we go. <laughs> the other comment I was going to make, I suppose it's a sort of sort of segue, is is kind of not necessarily backstory, but kind of side story. That, that with Malazan, what I wanted to do, my aspiration was that everybody has some kind of flavor given to them as a backstory that will become relevant to the story at some mm. point. Yeah. And I, you know, with, with Age of Worms, you could have these little cutscenes on the in the podcast of you know I mean you've got it with Cuthbert writing back to mm. his aunt and things like that but you can't really have anything of note because obviously everybody's listening <laughs> so you don't want everybody to know what everybody else's backstory is. The difficulty here, if we're all in, a, sort of in the spirit of free discussion, is all of you to some or other extent there have been conversations about what's going on with your characters, one-on-one -on -one conversations. Yes. Some of you more than others. Yes. And the ideas that come from you or between us about what might be in the past of any one of the characters, what might be an, an aspiration for the future of one of the characters, I will try and work those into the overall story as we go. But 12 books, this is the thing. But I think the Cuthbert's background works well. I think Graham's <clears throat> luck, misfortune kind of mythos works very well. Mm, yeah. Um, some of the characters were more fully drawn than others when we yes. started. Yes. Other characters have got more that's unknown hinterland. Uh, and I've obviously talked to some of you about how that might work. I'm really going to put the cat amongst the pigeons here. Before we all get, what is it that you... <laughs> Other players will invest a lot more into the creation of their characters and their backstories. Mm. And we'll discuss with GMs a lot more about how to weave the stories of their characters into the overall campaign and story. Mm. We still our old school discussion right at the beginning of this around we still can't quite shake our kind of old school motivations and we just tend to effectively put a character together and then we round that character out as we go perhaps because we think that they may not survive the first session i think it's more that so you know we've been playing so long that i like okay i haven't run a bard for ages i haven't run a bard in you know God, I'll that's try a very a bard. mechanical mm. thing i think uh, people who are more invested in story character class and what the what the character could contribute in terms of combat or exploration or whatever is important but what really kind of makes people stick with the character is whether or not they feel that the the kind of soul of the character is interesting dan you I didn't don't... you didn't like burple for a while did you no i didn't do you now um i he's he's certainly better uh, uh, i think like of fourth... himself at fourth level he couldn't do very much he was a bit yeah. you know he was a bit useful isn't that a bit I've... kind of old school magic user kind of they, you've got away a bit and then they become pretty awesome I think it was third edition the third edition bard was really good mm -hmm. and he could do loads of stuff and you know the what I like is characters that do a variety of things yeah they can work off combat you know help with the exploration or the investigation or the yeah. diplomacy or what have you they can aid their um yeah. their allies and also they could go toe to toe if they need contribute to contribute across all three pillars yes yeah. and so the bard in theory is one of those 
you know, it can fight a bit. Yeah. It can, you know, it's got good skills. It's can, and it can use magic. Do a bit of magic. It can do a bit of this. It can do a bit of that. And a bit of healing. You know, it's, it, yeah. it crosses that that kind of divide. Early doors, I thought the bard was a bit weak, but since he's picked up, you know, things like whole person, he's become more interesting. Yeah. Also, yeah. I didn't I mean, really think about it, so I picked some duff spells, and yeah. you know, I which mean, have, I've had to wait to go up to level to swap out. Bugroff's obviously got a few levels in Druid, I think. Two now, hasn't he? Cleric. <laughs> Trouble is, barbarians get very boring after the. They can do two after they do the two attacks. There's nothing more left. They get very dull after that. Barbarians, you mean? The, well, after fifth level, they get very dull. So you need to multi-class. Oh, you'll probably get you'll probably get bumped off at some point. Won't you? <laughs> oh yeah, probably. As always, you'll lead I'm from standing the front. At the front. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. If I'm standing at the front, I'll die, won't I? So. Everybody else will. But isn't that the role of the barbarian, in essence? Yeah, I think Graham, you put it properly the other day, which is when you said that Bugrass leading from the front is just—it's not our front. That, that, <laughs> yeah, that well, front I, could be miles away. Yeah, he, he's I, always heading for it. It's a I was listening front. again to the early episodes, and there's a classic bit. I always felt like taking a, an extract, and it's Paul saying, explaining about Cuthbert, and that he's a young guy, and. Uh, you know, he's a bit nervous and scared, yeah. but he does like to go at the front. <laughs> I just felt like quoting that somewhere because you're never at the front. So uh, in the uh, so this Johnny, is, this in is the, the layer, yeah, he was at the front. This you, is the bugraft that basically in the keep. He was at the front. Bugraft is so far out in front that he's running to the back of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> he's gone all the way around the world. He's lapping. Yeah, it's Bugraft has <laughs> lapped the party. Bugraft's horseshoe theory of being at the front. Your problem, Johnny, is that your your kind of perception and reality don't often no, don't no, gel. No, 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 no. They, they, all that Ebon Triad bit. It, it was. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't at the front. What the fighters wow, were at the I'm front. I'm amazed that anybody remembered the Ebon Triad. Yeah, that's quite it's quite a thing. Oh, I'm very impressed. Tell you who is always at the front. Sorry, Parker. Yeah, Parker is always. No, at the front. he wasn't in the uh, Ebon Triad bit. No, he was. He's at the always back, at yeah. the front. He was at the back. He didn't the... go in any of those three. Yeah, but only because I got pinned front. down with some by some yes. stupid twiglets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but yes. at that point you were at the back. But that's just the way it. And you stayed at the back. That was the way that it was worked just, out. Yeah, the that's just the way thing, it played out. The, all three sections of that that thing. It was me and Burple at the front. Um, all three sections of that. I mean, um, I think that's where I started moaning about it. My, th- my thing maybe was things are improved. Fake then. news. Every every session yeah. worked. It started with Burple in basically so down. Just lots of projection <laughs> going on here. I think basically. Yes, I think so. Yeah, I don't think that's actually reality at all. But it's an interesting party. I think. Yeah. What I think we lack is the the old school kind of wizard. What the wizards have is sort of useful in particular circumstances. Spells like grease. Yeah. Which we don't have. We lack. Yeah. Some, some, a lot of that stuff. This party, it's a bit. It's. I mean, we've done quite well, but it's. It's. Um, I always. Well, it's I always remember the sorcerer that thing is a kind of it. combat spellcaster. So, and we so like Graham playing the wizard as well. That's. <laughs> you'd, you'd have a. You'd have a series of spells, and it was there was that saying, wasn't it, which was kind of rock to mud, something to something, something to something. Yes. And that was. I was always kind of. That's really an interesting way of playing. Is if you do have that deep knowledge of the spell. Well, that was just basically, that was a, a means to stop someone being resurrected. It was rock to mud. No, you turn, you, you petri- flesh petrification, to stone, rock to flesh mud. to stone, rock to mud, discreate water, gust of wind. That's it. 
That's it. It's brilliant. I mean, it's just genius. <laughs> yeah. But there was another thing where we were fighting some guy and we did a, a reverse gravity. I think it was some flying baby or something. What? But actually, that reminds me of the other thing I wanted to, to, to bring up was recurring bad guys. Graham. Yeah. Graham, as the master of the recurring bad guy, the raven. <laughs> Do you... That was a long time. That was, was that first edition or second edition? Yeah, yeah I've, was first I've, edition. As a, that was first edition. Uh, but as a, as a DM, I've always struggled to manufacture a recurring bad guy. I guess because I hang them around too long and then they get killed or... I don't know. I, I've often... Have we ever had... A recurring bad guy. Yeah, the, ra mean, the raven kept coming back in in Graham's dungeon. I think Mike's had a few. The floating baby. The floating baby. That one. <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit, they never really came across as that. No, you, you don't think. Not in the sort of you know Blofeld. What I was referring to was actually Graham's raven in in first mm. first edition, and you had a few where basically you'd have you'd have a combat where you know you yeah. basically you know you're in a bit of trouble, and then reinforcements for the bad guys arrive and you're like oh crap we're even more trouble now and somehow you'd get distracted so that the guy that you're about to kill manages to get away and then he comes back for a fight later on and keeps coming back chank fankum chank fankum chank <laughs> so present, you had that but... moment him standing when we came out of the yeah uh, he got away i don't know dungeon. that he's you know i don't know that he's a he's a blowfeld character he, he got away at the end of book i'm not talking about a blowfeld character i'm talking about somebody that you fight yeah, repeatedly yeah, a, and never quite managed to kill there might be a bit of that in age mm. of worms again paizo tends to be a layer of an onion thing though yes behind it all is this entity and then that entity turns out to be a servant of this entity and then this entity turns out to be and that you just keep finding letters left on but bodies. It sort of has to be because if you sort of are immediately in book one fighting the yeah. villain that you want to fight in, you know, in book yes, six, exactly. you'll, you'll it's be going to be well. I just he wanders up and he does time stop on you all, and <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Well, that's some those irritating kids out the way. Mm. Yes, yeah. but you could have the bad guys go up levels just like the good guys do. We could have. Yeah. It's a bit of work though, isn't it? I'm just I'm just saying that, that I've never successfully managed to do it, but you and Mike have both successfully had a little bit kind of recurring long adventures don't tend to survive. True. That's our real We need thing, to conclude an adventure. They they never finished. That's why we're going to we are going to do fuck we are fucking going to Make sure do we this. finish this one. Yes. Gondor Acres. Yeah, but are we going to move move it across to Pathfinder 2 at some point? No. I don't oh, think that we can, although I'd be no. very tempted to, but I don't oh. think we can. No, because there's, it, there's, a, it, there's a simple reason that we can't. High level. That is that you can't do Pathfinder 2 at high level. Well, you don't know whether Pathfinder 2 works at that level or not. We've not tried. Yeah, we don't exactly. know that Pathfinder well, the doesn't main work. The main readers, the readership, the D&D people might be peeved at switching systems. We could switch to Pathfinder 2nd Edition and not say anything about it. And I wonder whether or not anybody would actually notice. Of course they would. <laughs> well, maybe, but I mean, I keep saying we'll save. <laughs> I've noticed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I don't know. Reflex You're save. confused no, readership. The, the, the action economy would be blatant. Yes, the action economy yeah. would be different, but it wouldn't be like, what's going on? I absolutely agree. The problem is the four people that listen to us, <laughs> some of them may be listening to us because we play... 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. If we switch systems on them, I don't think that's particularly fair. Likewise, 
just in terms of whether or not, I don't know why we have any particular reason to want to build up our numbers, but let's just say we switched to Pathfinder 2nd Edition and then we badged the podcast like that. Then somebody who sees that it's a Pathfinder 2nd Edition, blah, 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 Paizo, diddly, diddly, dumb, they go back to the beginning and switch it on and it's not. They'd be no, like, well, hold up, what's going on here? It's a terrible so that's idea. The, that's the terrible main problem. Idea. No, we should do I don't a, think there's any need. A, a different campaign and we do that. Time. I was that well, I mean, after after we either either while we're taking a break from this one. <laughs> if we finish this three years in three years' time, whatever it is, somebody else can run something. But yeah, we should do something different. Three years, Jesus! Why don't you chop a few sections out or something? Maybe it's twelve books is too long. I, I think the thing that might stop uh, three years is if at any point there's a TPK. Oh sure. I mean, if everybody if everybody is killed, that would be some a point. real anticlimax to. to oh, that'd be really cool. It'd be like Blake Seven, wouldn't it? I'm not doing any stage management. If something happens, and there's an unfortunate event, and you know everybody bites the dust, that's that, and we'll have to decide how we would pursue things. Last Cannon did a TPK, did they? In one of their side things, yeah, handled it really well. I thought. Mm could happen we'll have to see interestingly when was actually the last time we actually had a, a, a tpk i mean not just mike's dungeon is the, the high level one we were talking about well we did have a tpk once and then the story was picked up by a brand new party oh no that was rise of the rune lords we had tpk did we yeah when yes, we started rise of the rune lords in third edition yeah we did and in the, the, the slidey under sand point is the sort of evil temple of whatever it is. Yeah. Oh, and God. But that was like 2000 was, and We were paying in the pub. Five, it was Prez it? and who is the other guy from Johnny's work and Johnny and Dan. Nick. Um, yeah. And we were playing in that pub in the West oh, End okay. after work. The one that yeah. Nick, who knocks a whole glass of beer over Paul's character sheet after yeah. he just <laughs> ran it out again. <laughs> <laughs> in the days of pen and paper. Pencil and paper. And we picked up the story by having it so that the new set of characters had come into town. That's right. At the behest of the sheriff to find out what had happened to the first set of characters. How do you think um, people respond, Mike, to our bickering over magic acquisition? <laughs> <laughs> I have asked a couple of people. Yeah. And generally, the feedback is positive. I think it's just a question of how often you get it. Yeah. Bear in mind that the bits that have stayed in the show are heavily, heavily edited down from the real 45-minute-long arguments <laughs> Yeah, that would actually take up the vast majority of an episode. What I think is going on here is that everybody likes playing D&D in different ways, yes. or any role-playing game in different ways. We tend to play with a, an attitude that we probably picked up in the late 1970s as kids. Well, we started playing as 11-year-olds, and that kind of Yeah, precisely, yeah, and we've never really moved on. And so that that <laughs> idea that it's each person out for themselves, who can get what? Although that actually didn't come at this. That came in the sort of the later teenage years. That Possibly, was the, the Arden Grimoire. Uh, the, yeah. My very first game of Dungeons & Dragons, I went to Talica in Kiddish Town. And I don't know if any one of you were present, but I mean, you were definitely in the room, but I think I was playing in a kind of side at a table. I had a, my first ever character was called Daniel the Dwarf, and he was a first level thief. <laughs> and there was a dungeon that we went, we were down. I didn't understand what on earth was going on. There were figures, there were, there were miniatures involved, and there was a hex grid with like sticky back plastic over the top. And then at the end of a fight with some, some creatures, orcs or something, I don't know what, what it was there were basically two people standing 
Daniel the Dwarf and some other character. And the, another chap who was sitting next to me at the table, an older guy, went, you could kill him, you know. If you shoot him now, you can kill him and take everything he's got. And I did. <laughs> and oh, that really? My, <laughs> that was my first ever. Oh, I never heard and that the other story. chap, for life. this 11-year-old <laughs> angelic <laughs> pipsqueak kid sitting there. <laughs> what did Egg the other guy say? Branded. To be honest, I can't really remember. It wasn't very popular. Anyway, the point being, that, that concept of sort of selfish, self-serving, grabbing competition between characters Drawn is to the dark wired side. into our DNA and no need to remember a story or any characters or what's going <laughs> on because really all you're doing is going through a succession of rooms and chambers and traps trying to grab everything yes. you can off each other and whatever Best you do. source of magic is the other characters. My other question was, was going to be sort of round the table. What would you do differently with your character? Lucas? Um... Well, I checked oh, the go. other day, I, I realised I probably should have taken one more wisdom and one less strength. I don't know why I did that. That was just not really, I don't know. Mm. Like Mike was saying, you know, sometimes we don't, I, I don't know, you don't pay enough attention right at the beginning to actually getting... Yeah. But I suppose that's a bit the thing about 5e, you know, in when we were playing Pathfinder, that sort of min-maxing in Pathfinder was just like, I mean, we took that to extremes in pathfinder pathfinder was basically just an extension of 3.5 which was itself a development on three so we'd actually been playing the same game for a very long time yeah and so we, in, we did know it very well the other answer to your question is i wouldn't actually have done anything different because the reason why i went for a monk was because i hadn't actually played a monk in 5e and i just wanted to see how it played out yeah so i um, guess so what i don't would you think do i would have made a different choice because you like the druid i like yeah Martin i mean Clark. yeah definitely. yeah i was gonna ask about the druid because i was wondering about next level taking a dip to druid well i'm, only, I'm joking i'm joking it had its function for the <laughs> and i have to say burn um luke produce luke flame enjoyed it produce flame has been very useful for you yeah it's very good graham I don't know. Possibly have written down the silly names of the spells. So I remembered what they are. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I'm now, I'm now hopelessly lost. <laughs> Otherwise, I, no, no. I think it's okay for the sort of character I thought I was going to be running. So, Sessions is a great character. Yeah, yeah Sessions is a very good Sessions. Yeah, and having a character that plugs directly into the setting like that with Sessions was a really, really good thing. Yeah, in terms of getting us up and underway and placing the characters in a in a sense of real place, it plays into the world. I think Cuthbert, likewise, this whole thing with Calamanthus is is a nice little aside. Yeah, I mean, with Purple, I you know, I don't I don't play the Bard particularly well because it involves singing. But but the fact that he hides it, he lives in a bin, I quite I find amusing. You no, know, that was that was. Very, I like the idea that he lives in a bin. I yeah. like the idea that he is just not very well um, i gave i gave him what i think is that i still think he's quite a good backstory that he's basically been ostracized because he's got these funny eyes and he lives in a bin because he wants to keep away from everybody and he's not yeah, he's not really yeah, got yeah, any friends I like all of that. And, um, but i don't play it <laughs> well that's the thing though because in, in how often do you does that you know this is what this is the well, point is, is he's the, supposed to have a, a sharp temper well yes you don't play that why is he supposed to have a sharp temper because he's insecure because he's basically not had any friends and everyone's taken the piss out of him as he's grown up which has made him right, that was weird. the backstory that was otherness the and bullying and and, yes. a, and a sense of not belonging anywhere and his you know his dad's nowhere to be seen um, but what would you would really you now that he's settled into him a little bit would you stick with that would i stick with that no i probably would have come up with something i mean the problem with the bard as well is that i, I tend to go for the comedy value or something kind of quite easy stupid to, songs 
stupid yeah. songs and I can't think of anything, you know, on the spot. And that would have been Well, we need to work on some in advance. We've got well, plenty of songs. We should release an album. Yeah, we should release an album. Johnny. Yes. Johnny Bugraft. He's forgot. only been around for it. Well, I was going to say, what would you do with Grimbold? Oh, is there anything you would have done differently? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, already, I've had a sort of second go at it, haven't I? Because I've had to reroll off yeah. the character. So, mm. But I, I do like spell users more than mm. front. But you uh, like evocation type yeah, spellcasters. Yeah, I do. I like all the options that you can... Yeah, you yeah. have a lot of choice. You go for the sorcerer, which is quite sort of narrow. I... I tend to like the wizard because it's like, oh, if I take that spell, I could do that yeah, with it. Yeah, but you, you have know. to pick them at the beginning of the day. That's what annoys yeah, me. Yeah, so I agree. Unless you're really, yeah. you know, you might you might be in a difficult combat and you've got Featherfall and, um, you yeah. know, Wizard Lock. <laughs> yeah. It's completely useless. I, I just think wizards should just be able to pick any spell from their spell book on the day. And if they do that, they'll be a lot more interesting to run. But the fact that you've got to try and somehow predict what spell you need for the days i'm i'm going to bed now (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna head off okay well thank you guys i thought that was quite interesting Mm -hmm. yeah that was very enjoyable okay Okay. see you folks bye cheers cheers Billowing Hilltop Podcast is a Billowing Hilltop production. Dungeons and Dragons is a trademark of Wizards of the Coast. Music is from Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com and is used with thanks under their Creative Commons license. Additional music and sound effects come from the wonderful Sirenscape. All other original material is copyright Billowing Hilltop. Role-playing games are all about getting people together and we use Roll20 as our tabletop, the perfect place to host your game and Discord to host our chat. Thanks for listening.